Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two. Thank you for listening to the Successful Life Podcast. We have no dues or fees, so please refer to this podcast to a friend. Make sure you rate, review, and hit the subscribe button. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with Autumn, like the season, and Nicholas, like Santa. So, welcome, Autumn. <laughs> you nailed it. I, I screw up everybody's last name, but the way you described that was absolutely perfect. And it's interesting Good. because I have, you know, I have my wife, my wife, everybody knows his name, Autumn. So, <laughs> I almost sent you a message earlier when I meant to send it to her knowing it and and, I, and her name's not even autumn in my phone but I guess that's funny my association you know so yeah. all right autumn so let's start by um just oh my god this this girl has been through hell the last three or four days trying to get <laughs> how long were you stuck between your first plane and by the time you got to actually where you planned on getting to, or yeah, um, I left my house at two thirty in the morning, and I did not get to my destination until the next day at ten p.m. So I was, yeah, I spent. I did one flight, and after that one flight, I was uh, in Philadelphia the entire time until uh, they were like, "Well, let's get you on another flight, and then another, and another, and another," and so. I was uh I was actually there in the airport stuck with my dog. Uh and we uh we paced in the airport, got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would I, I don't I don't know what I would do if I were stuck in the airport with either of the three of my dogs, to be honest with you. <laughs> that would be a complete disaster. Uh, he's not so bad. He's yeah. always like twenty five pounds though, so he's yeah. easy. Yeah. So, um, so Autumn, tell me, um, tell me more about yourself. Uh, so I'm really, I'm born and raised from Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I, uh, implanted myself into the capital in Raleigh about four years ago. Um, I come from a military background. My dad, um, was in the military and we, I guess we ended up in North Carolina and I was kind of born there and, Come to find out this past year, my dad was not there for my birth, and I thought it was just a funny thing, just because uh, my dad's brother looks just like him, and my mom said he was there, so you would have known the difference, and I remember thinking, now I'm just like, hmm, 
Okay, you're right. I probably wouldn't know the difference now because I wasn't totally there, but uh, I was implanted there, I guess. And so did you move around a lot? My dad actually did. He let us kind of be permanent so we could have some stability. Mom stayed with us a lot. So whenever he would go to other places, uh, he would go to Korea. He would, he, you name it, he's kind of been there. And uh, we would stay put just because he wanted some consistency for us, uh, my brother and I. My older brother. Very cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So I just thought I'd ask because a lot of military people move around so many places. Yeah. Part of me wishes that we did, but also I think the other half of me, I think I learned a lot more about, uh, I would say that I didn't like school. I learned a lot more about myself being in one place for sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right. So go ahead. Uh, so after moving there, I spent a few years going to school. I had a really tough time um, in elementary school. I think that I was too much of a social butterfly, is what my mom nicely put it as. And <laughs> I probably was just ADHD to the core. But um, I just, I, I always wanted to speak and I always had something to say. And the teachers really didn't like that. Uh, got in a lot of trouble, like I would say like pretty average trouble. I would uh, bring things to school that would distract me and distract others. And it just became like this habit of like, all right, Autumn, you need to go home and like focus on your school and you. And so my mom said, fine, let's do homeschooling. And I was like, I think I was in fourth grade. And of course, to me, that was like, I automatically was categorizing myself. I'm going to be a nerd. I'm not going to have any social activity and I'll never be able to play sports. Uh, my brother played basketball growing up, so I was like, I got to follow in his footsteps, and being homeschooled is not going to work. But uh, I actually was homeschooled from fourth grade up until I graduated, and I played basketball for, like, rec teams, and I went on to actually have a scholarship um, to to uh, Chapel Hill, and I got ended up getting hurt, and, and that was no go and during the time when I was uh, 16 or 17 I was still doing music and basketball but I never really chose one over the other I didn't know the destiny I always thought I was supposed to be a basketball player just because my brother was and um, just so everybody knows that's listening it's not first mm -hmm. of all it's just you got to be fairly smart not fairly you have to be smart to get into Chapel Hill to begin with but to get a scholarship to go to Chapel Hill that's pretty big I mean that's it's, it's not dude it, look and I'm a Carolina fan but it, it may not be quite the equivalent of getting into Duke but it is really motherfucking close so <laughs> well, yeah and just to clarify because I know people will watch this I wanted to go to Duke it was always a dream to go there but we had some people that came to some games and they were like you know here's this opportunity of a lifetime and again schooling was not my favorite thing and I was truly not the best in everything that I could have been um, I'm sure there was a lot of cheating that happened back then, so I was fine <laughs> home by myself. So it was definitely a wiggled way of getting in, but it was just this opportunity that, you know, came to be, and quite literally, the day that we got that opportunity, it was the day that I actually got hurt. So it wasn't even a, uh, this paperwork was filed and this was happening. They were like, you know what, we want to go ahead and do this, let's move forward. And then quite literally at that game, that is when I was injured. Oh, and, and what was the was, injury? The injury was in my knee. We had, it was, they claim it to be, I needed knee surgery and torn 
things like that. And that was not just it. I actually dislocated my hip. And um, when I went to the hospital, it was actually, when they try to push it back in a dislocation, it can actually do more damage depending on how it was treated. And I now have uh, hips that sit um, like this and I now have scoliosis from this. Oh my the way that I, Yeah, it's crazy. But uh, I think it was like kind of a way of, of life halting me and being like, nope, not your path. Where there was a painful halt or genuinely someone just saying like, this isn't it. And maybe it was Chapel Hill. I don't know. Well, if you're anything like me, I have to have a great deal of pain before I see the right direction. Or at least (laughs) for many years, that was the case. And still to this day, for some things, that's the case. But I have learned to understand that pain is an indicator, period. And and it may indicate that, you know, if it's your knee hurting, it may indicate that something's wrong with your hip. Or if it's a pain in life, it could indicate that you're on the wrong path. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the stop signs that our faces run into sometimes like, oh, that's nothing. That's not a big deal. We can keep going. We right. just kind of avoid the inevitable. <laughs> but I, I agree. I um, I continued on uh, with music after that. And I, from about 15, I really, truly played on stage. My dad shoved me on a stage. And I was like, whoa. And after the scholarship thing kind of fell through and I was still uh, trying to decide like, Hey, do I, do I really want to go to school? Do I want to go to college because it was a disappointment that I wasn't going for the reason why I thought I was supposed to, or do I want to go to college for music? And um, I took some time off and I just kept pushing at saying, you know, let's, let's try this music thing out. And luckily I've had two amazing parents who were like, all right, well, let's try it. Let's try the one path that my mom to this day says, you are choosing a job that's harder than becoming a surgeon. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, there's no book made for the job that you're going to do. She says, there's no road that says how to become famous or how to become a well-known singer. She goes, there isn't a book or a school that can teach you that. So she would say, good luck. And I didn't really take it such positive words, but at the same time, I think now I was just like, well, I think she was just giving me a dose of the medicine that I'm now like at 30 years old, like, holy, she was right. But uh, I'm super I would say blessed and thankful that they let me be who I wanted to be in that like pivotal point of like the molding of who I am. And uh, we went on and I became my own booking agent. I became, I, for a long time, I have secretly been this now the secrets out. I've been my own assistant. So whenever I would send emails in the past, I would assign a different name to it saying that I was my own agent. So Nicole That's has been used for many years. That was smart. Yeah. I think that was super smart. I had to do it. People didn't people didn't believe a little kid, you know, little North Carolina girl that wanted to come and play a show in New York and they're like, Well, who are you working with? I'm like, hmm. Nicole's my agent. <laughs> this is her. That's so. amazing. As just mm-hmm. I mean, maybe some people may think it's dishonest. I think it's pretty clever, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, it was always the truth. It was just a different name that helps people take it a little more seriously. I mean, to be honest with you, I, even this past year, I always thought, you know, you have to have a piece of paper hanging on the wall that says you've done something with your life. And Mm. that has been really hard to step away from as I'm getting older and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I don't have a 401k. I don't have a dental plan. I don't have healthcare. I'm like, oh my God. And thinking that I have to have those things in order to be respected or have a job that says, you know, 
hey, I have this badge of being in the military. I wear this badge and this is how I'm viewed and my worth is viewed. And I'm like, gosh, if I could carry around the years of bookings and the years of, you know, stages and things that I've done, I think it would, I think I would have something there, but oh, I have a way of proving it. You do have that. You just, you just don't see that. So I, this is pretty remarkable that you bring that up because the, the, the girl by before you, I talked to earlier today, she said, we were talking about the Tony Robbins event and limited beliefs and that she said, so what was yours going into that event? And I said, well, one of them, and it kind of stumped me for a second because I hadn't thought about it in a while. And I said, well, one of them is that I didn't finish, I didn't finish college. And, Mm -hmm. and it, and I really couldn't think of the other one, but I told her, I said, you know, I've always, I always know that I have a bigger purpose. I know I have a way to impact a shitload more people than I do. I just don't know. I'm starting to see the how, but I don't, Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to see it until recently. And so to Mm -hmm. your point about the college degree, I, I for years carried around the fact that I didn't have a college degree. On top of that, I have am I'm a convicted felon, so I got caught with cocaine in 2005, and that those two kicks your ass right off an application anywhere. So, <laughs> yeah. so like I had no choice but to become an entrepreneur because I can't get a job anywhere. And quite frankly, right. I wouldn't want it any other way. I've always wanted to work for myself. I didn't realize how hard right. it was, but yeah. it's a lot harder than people think. But mm-hmm. I've, had, I've had to let go of that stuff and say, you know what? None of that shit matters. And mm-hmm. guess what? Autumn asked me the other day, she said, what would you, is there anything that you would change five years ago? Or I think. I always mess up the question or, or maybe she no, she said, is there anything that you wouldn't change? And I said, well, I guess we'd be getting married to you. And she said, well, what about 10 years ago? And I said, getting sober. And, and she said, well, what about 15 years ago? And I said, honestly, getting caught with cocaine, I wouldn't change it because if I had not gotten caught with cocaine in 2005, I may be dead or, strung out in a crack house right now who knows probably dead most likely but so it's things like that that happen in our life that at the time it seems like the end of the world mm-hmm. and the reality is it's a defining moment that makes you who you are in the future it's just hard to see that at the time so i didn't mean to go off on that rant but it was just no no go ahead it- that 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 point of view and also like even you saying someone in a different place and in a totally different story than mine saying that you know i i don't need that degree and, and, and i'm not using that as and i'm not saying people use it but as something to help maybe the next steps of your your career or your future and um as a 30 year old female i think the, the way that i have felt the world has pressed on me has been um over time uh skipping forward a little bit i've still been a pusher of my career you know i i grind for every single show i have i think people just think these shows just kind of pop up but it's truly like taking a calendar for the next you know six months of your life and saying i need this to survive 
in order to do that, I need to fill these dates. And a lot of people do this, but I think the people that don't do it don't actually get to see those little small details of the 27 emails it took to get this one show or, you know, things like that. Um, uh, when I fast forward to um, actually about a year ago, I was in a business with two other business partners. It was a yoga music and dance studio. And we had started this on this on this belief of, you know, this has never been done before. Let's try it. Let's it, it, it is it is a really cool three dimensions that makes up a really strong like triangle. So let's do this. And as I'm involved in it, I'm spending more and more time devoted to something else, not my passion. And I watched myself slowly deteriorate. In just a year's time, I couldn't recognize myself in the mirror because I couldn't see what happy reflected to being like. I only saw what I needed to do. And I knew that I needed to make money. I needed to be respected in this field. And I needed to be there and support it. And trying to step down from that position in my brain was so hard because I thought in order to get respect, I had to be doing that. And I had to be viewed as someone who had something. So if I didn't have a plaque, but I had a business, then I was someone. I wasn't just someone who went every, you know, weekend night and sang and, you know, sang to the drunk people. And, and that was even like saying that, and I don't mean that everyone who comes there is drunk. I'm saying that that made me feel important, feeling like I had a plaque to stand in front of and stepping down from that because I knew that I had to give my passion and my music a hundred percent of me was probably like you said, a moment that I would not change, but it was the hardest change I probably have had to make. Um, it was letting fully go of my past. And to say that that was the only business I've started, no, I've had four businesses in my life. And all of them, not were bad, they weren't bad ideas uh, at the time, but they were bad ideas for me. Um, they weren't my future. I was starting someone else's future. And I, I have been a fixer my whole life. My dad is the type of person who, he'll come to your house and fix and paint your kitchen and then ours looks like a disaster. And that's how <laughs> I've been raised. And we, our hands are able. And if they're able, we need to use them for good. And that's how I was taught from my dad. And he to this day is, you know, 70s and above, and he's still out there using his hands and for others. And I had to take myself and use my hands and like stop myself. And I'm like, dad, we have to be able to love ourselves and say, hey, what do you really want? Do you want the plaque? Do you want the business? Or do you want what makes you happy? And I'm choosing not to have the 401k and I'm choosing not to have the dental care because I know I'm going to get it myself. I, 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 I know it now. For sure. So. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, even a four-year degree, what do you, <laughs> what can you really do with, and I, I'm not knocking people, like you said, I'm not knocking right, people right. with a four-year degree, but like, what the fuck are you going to do with it? Because you may, you, all, you have to have a master's pretty much to get mm -hmm. into a good position. And when I say a good position, mm -hmm. meaning a position that's going to start you out at fifty or $60,000 a year, I would say that's to pay back. mediocre. Right. To pay back. Uh-huh. Shit. It's, I mean, yes. It's, it's quite literally like it's either you pay the due of going to school and you get a piece of paper or you physically get to pay the due of being an entrepreneur that the dues look a little bit different than cash, but man, it still has the effect of money. And I, I've, I've watched Ed Milet before and my biggest thing is time or money. And I'm just like, Oh, 
I, I always choose time. It is, it is always about time. And I know I have to grind to get to where I need to be in money and in time. And I will have those balance soon. And I, oh, I can just feel it. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Well, you know, it's, do, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and the fact is, is that you have to be a particular person to be an entrepreneur. You have to be able to understand that there are going to be long days and there are going to be days when you're sick and you still need to go and do your job. There are going to be days mm-hmm. that it's, it's going to really suck. And there's also going to be days where are not just days. There's going to be lots of times that, that you have to choose between your business or career, or you have to choose between your husband or your wife or your kids or whatever the case is. I mean, somebody or something is going to suffer. And we were breaking up there for just a second. Is it still breaking up? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um, so I was just, I was just saying that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you, something is always going to suffer, whether that be your partner or your wife or your husband or your kids or your, Mm -hmm. you know, your, your room is dirty because you just (laughs) don't have time to clean it or your, my office stays, Mm -hmm. you know, a wreck because I'm in it all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I can't remember who pointed that out, but they talked about, they said something is always going, you have to, you have to, oh, I, I do know who it was, uh, the guy, Tim Grover. Do you know who that is? Uh, not by name, but probably if I saw a photo for sure. He coached Michael Jordan uh, as his, like his personal coach for 15 years. Oh. And Kobe. Okay. And like, he's a big, he, and he's a hard ass. He's, he's got wow. his, his book is called Relentless. You need to, you definitely need to either listen to it or read it. It's absolutely amazing. In fact, if you have Audible, I can send you. I do. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll send it to you um, on Audible or I'll send you a, a screenshot of it or whatever. But it's good. Awesome. Thank you. It's good. But he, all, but he ah. said, you know, something always suffers. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's, no, no, you're okay. I, you're you're absolutely right. Something does always suffer. And I, I wrote something down yesterday. Um, I was listening to a conversation and somebody was saying, gosh, I feel like there's always something to matter. And, and I was like, I wonder if that's true. If there is always something to matter or do we ever find our, ourselves in a place where we're like, you know, life is good, but is that just momentary? Is it just like a little, kind of like a picture you can capture it. And it's like in that moment, you remember how you felt, but when there's things that matter or when there's things, you know, out of order, like the office, I'm in a disorderly space, but for right now, what you're seeing is the order of which I'm speaking to you and it, and it feels like it's put together. Um, I, I wondered 
if there would ever be a, a part in a time in my life where that would just you would find that equal balance and you could have order and you could have everything that you needed but I don't think so I think we have to continually keep learning and continue to keep rearranging and organizing our lives as much as we do as people even to the, like the things and objects around us and I I'm only 30 so I we got some ways to go but so far I'm continuously playing Jenga and Tetris with my life well you know okay so I'll give you a great example that Jarek Robbins used he said you know try he said for for a week try to br brush your teeth with the opposite hand all right so think about that unless you're whatever it's called with but that you can do shit with both ambidextrous yes <laughs> ambidextrous uh, yeah uh unless you're that then just try it for five to five to seven days and you'll see this is the reason behind it okay it sounds like so sim something simple but the okay. whole reason behind it is that you don't create new new neuro pathways in your brain by doing the same shit over and over the same exact yeah. way. Now, Dr. Joe Dispenza also talks about the same thing. And right. if you, you know, because he talks about if you, when you wake up, you wake up on the same side of the bed, mm -hmm. you turn the alarm off with the same hand, you get up, you go to the bathroom or you get up and you do this and it's the same damn sequence every single day. So mm -hmm. it's your own autopilot. So to talk to, to further what you were saying about, I wonder if we're ever in a place of peace or you really shouldn't be, you really should be in a right. place where you're mixing things up. Like you said, uh -huh. because it That's... fires different parts of your brain. And if you don't right. fire those parts, you won't grow. That That's it. That's exactly why I think when 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 people find I guess, I'm gonna say chapters are people in your life. So this chapter came into my life, he or she, and they fired something in my life that I need to see or recognize out of the habit, like you're saying, of myself. And I believe that the people we come across create those moments where, like you said, we're either destined to if you would have never been, you know, stopped for that to happen in your life and for whatever reason, whoever like turned you on to maybe where you were or maybe a situation in your life um stemmed from someone else it, it it all came from it all boils down to that moment and I feel like that is why we have so many different um, not so much soulmates but I think chapter mates that go in and out of our lives and in and out of our stories so like you said to continue that growth because if not I would be a stagnant like ugh, like if it, you know, just shrivel up and be the same like habitual thing and then I definitely don't want that. And I think that's why I took so many paths in businesses thinking that, you know, I need to be this because the world says, but then when I was in it, I was like, Oh, this is a really horrible idea. Like maybe this isn't for me. And I, I truly kept steering off of my actual path. And I, I think I had to give into the fact of being an entrepreneur means you have to pick up the paver and whether that's your shovel or whatever you have at the time and truly start laying your own road I think I was afraid to do that because my dad had taught me that it is easier to help others. And maybe, maybe that was a good or a bad, but I think I had to learn that on my own. And though, again, I think helping others is wonderful, but when you choose to say, this is what I'm going to do because I believe what I will do will help others. And like you were saying, like, I believe I'm made for something bigger. There's something there like greater for me. And you can't really describe that in words always. 
I always told my mom, I said, I, it's, I'm destined to be in front of people. And I, I just, I can't get out of that, whether that's in a light, whether that's speaking one-on-one. And I never had the gift of gab until I feel like I, I came to settle with myself, to actually deal with myself. And then I was able to talk about it when singing was just kind of an excuse not to be able to tell my story. So this is one of my first times I've ever actually talked about me without having be fully committed to, well, I'm a good singer. You know what I mean? It's not about that. So I, I can I attest really. to that because I've heard you. So, uh, and, <laughs> and I got trampled by all the people that I, I would say that most of them were drunk. <laughs> I don't know for sure, <laughs> but they were like, you know, and I, I said to myself, I was like, I, but keep in mind, I'm, all, I'm also sober 10 years. So my tolerance right. for people that are intoxicated are about, is about that much. Yeah. So, yeah. I I was I told Autumn after the fact I was like man this girl like she was behind me and just talking about fucking nothing and I'm like she it was the most I wanted to rip my eyeballs out because mm-hmm. she just kept talking about absolutely nothing and mm-hmm. I don't want I I don't I wouldn't want to be in that life anymore I would meaning as mm-hmm. the person drinking um, and mm-hmm. I'm not knocking anybody that drinks I don't care if anybody drinks no, yeah. but. Mm-hmm. I don't have to put up with people if they're too intoxicated. It's just not my gig right. anymore. I don't I, I right. don't. I don't have to do it. I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm sure there will be times in my life that I will have to. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. And and right. you know, you by you doing what you do and and singing, you touch people's lives that you don't even know about in right. ways they're not even aware of. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I, that exact show, um, I believe you two had just left. To be honest with you, right before the mayhem came in, we were at max capacity 20 minutes after you had left. And, you know, they're to the front of the stage, and I'm like, hey, you guys, I'm going to take a quick break. And I step down, and I'm saying hi to a familiar face I haven't seen in like four or five years. And this girl comes up, and she interrupts the conversation, but she does it with, like, I can feel her wanting to say something. And I'm like, all right, well, I should just turn and, like, let her be engaged with me. She says, I was listening to your feed the other day and you had said something about, you know, that we all share a common ground of feeling lonely, feeling insecure and, you know, you know, talking about those things. And she goes, it was so, um, she goes, it was so almost unreal feeling like I could be someone like you. In my mind, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, that's so weird. I consider myself to be equal. There's no stage that puts me any higher than any human can ever reach. I, I, I don't feel the lights making me like this glow like I'm not this weird alien on stage. I am very much alive and human and emotional. And hearing someone say that, like that they engaged with words and feelings and emotions with you, like you said, you have no idea who's there. So when I bracket it as saying like drunk people come to my shows, I can't exactly do that every time because there are people, there's one person guaranteed that needed that or connected with me. And that is where I'm at in my career of making that like another pivot to turn me that says it's time for the bigger, it's time for your picture. Now it's time for your words. And I um, had left that show and I went on to play another show that evening. It was a listening lounge show. Um, it's called So Far uh, Raleigh. And it's where people come to an intimate space and they're quiet to listen to your original music and how that lady affected me there. It truly made me go back on stage and say, I I am here to perfect my craft no matter who I'm performing for and no matter how, what perception I put on it, I have to come in here and say, I'm doing this because I love it and I'm going to spread it to those who need it. 
and that that give and take of that energy um, sometimes is draining, but at the same time, it is so fulfilling um, to say something or do something that where you feel it good for you and you can actually feel that connection with someone else. And then going to another show where it's completely silent, everyone is engaged and having that same type of reaction another woman approaches and says, you know, you touch my guts. And I know that's such a strange say, but um, when a song reaches you, it reaches deep inside and it has a definition and a meaning for you that maybe the reason I wrote the song is totally different than how you feel right now. But to me, music has become a medication that I am allowed to prescribe for people and they are allowed to overdose and it is okay. Wow. I like that. That was, that was really good. Thank you. That was damn, that was a really good way of saying that. Um, You know, I, so you said something and I was going to circle back to it and, so you said that you've never really told your story before. Um, mm-hmm. Why is that? To be quite honest, um, I have auditioned for a lot of the television shows that people see on TV that are very common, and they want a story. And I don't have the most dramatic story to tell. I mean, my story has moments that have drama, but is it one that may be worth Uh, ratings for a tv show that's not my opinion to say it is or it isn't you know they make money on it they know what to do but I've told my story in so many different ways and in so many different lights that I almost get like mixed up on what and who I am and most recently another television show came you know into the picture and I was like I'm going to give this my best me shot and instead of you know kind of like pitching a light on just something significant I pitched a light on everything that is true about myself and the struggle of, of my life and whether that be on a scale of whatever it may be measured, it's, it's the honest truth. And I'm realizing that my story is enough over the years. I felt like it wasn't enough. I felt like maybe if I lost my foot in a random scooter accident, they would consider me to be talented. Is that what it takes to be talented? In my opinion, no, but do I believe that's what makes ratings on TV? I'm sure it does. And that industry is 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 a is a bit of a fiery one for me, but I truly know what it takes to kind of mold to their wantings. But now being able to say, you know what, I'm going to be who I am, and if that's not enough for someone or something, and that means that that path isn't ready, I, I, I'm not meant to merge with it, and that's okay. And whereas you know, when I was 18 years old auditioning for a television show, and they're telling you like, well. We like your sound, but your story's kind of boring. And you're like, what? I think that that's more devastating than saying your talent is enough. We'll take you. So, and you, okay. So this is what I find interesting. You've you said that you've told your story several different ways to several different TV shows. Let's just say that. Um, and, and it wasn't interesting enough. There's got to be a particular time when you, about that, it, that whoever said that, is that one person or is that multiple people that sticks um, out in your head? I would say that there was one incident that I was just like, all right. And so uh, what I, was I, the story? Um, the one that we pitched was um, that I had a really hard time growing up as a mixed child. It is a valid story. Um, did we add a little extra to it to make it seem 
a little more for uh, the filming, yes. Um, but it was the truth, absolutely. Uh, but the way that it was broken down, that he said no to me moving forward was, he says to me, and I remember, I remember having to stand on this X, and standing on an X makes me nervous because that means I don't want you to move. And I feel like music is meant to move. I mean, whether I'm moving you here, whether I'm actually physically moving your body, and they're like, don't come off the X. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really hard for me. My body naturally does something when I'm engaged. And I felt myself stiff, like stiffen up. And I'm like, oh man, I'm not going to, I'm not engaged here. So it's not going to show who I am. And you've got three minutes to pull off. And in that three minutes, they're reading your bio. They're reading everything that you've written down and pitched to them. And now they're like asking you questions about your life. Well, why was it hard being mixed? Well, I still am mixed. And I would say, you know, sarcastic <laughs> things like, like that, because I, that's who I am. And uh, they would ask, you know, obvious questions like, how long have you been playing? And I'm like, you know, like more than 15 years, et cetera, you know, however many years at the time. And, and they're like, well, we can tell that you're seasoned. But what about um, your dad? Your dad was in the military. Did anything happen? And it was always like more and more and more. And I'm like, but did you hear, did you hear the song that I played? And it was never about that. And it was always something left field. And when the story of my emotions as far as when I was like eight years old, I wasn't allowed to go play at a kid's house because I was mixed. And I remember going over there really excited to go play on a trampoline. And I went and knocked on the door and the mom answered the door. She goes, you're not allowed to play. You're a mutt. And I was like, oh, what? And I'm eight years old, so I don't know what the heck that means. My parents have never raised us one way or the other. I mean, my, my, my father is a Pacific Islander, so he has dark skin. My mom is just she's from wisconsin that's what she is like she's <laughs> irish that's it <laughs> nothing much else and so it makes the two of us and that's what we get and we get a little salt and pepper and at the time i didn't know what that meant and so i went back home and i said hey mom like what does this mean and why can't i go play i don't understand it lord knows she went over there with a lot of words and i had to stand back and kind of just watch at a distance and eventually i was allowed to go play and the scenario of what actually happened, um, my friend's mom and dad ended up splitting up after that scenario. And from that point on, I was always allowed to go over and play. And then as I got older, I understood more and more of what that meant. And I saw some of the little little things that were harder in my life, maybe from that, but it was never enough to stop me. I never, I never took that amount of time to think that there needs to be that much segregation because of what I look like because if blind people can't tell the difference and what the hell is the difference for me like I'm gonna love and be and treat people how they deserve to be treated and now I would expect someone to do unto others things I think doesn't really stand true in every scenario but I I try to make sure that happens and in that scenario with that audition I thought that that was something that was pivotal in my life and also to to be honest in the world we still have a lot of that problem going on and it just, it wasn't enough. And I think going home each time with a different story, that story specifically, I honestly gave up the fact of saying, you know, um, television stardom is going to be my make or break. I, I went home thinking, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with that. I think it, I think it's fair enough to say that I don't have to put myself through that anymore. And then doing it one more time because my... Um, my motto for myself when I stepped down from the business this past year was exhaust every option. 
And if I'm not doing that, then I'm not giving all in my best. So I did it again. And I told my honest and true story. And here I am. And I can't say anything about it, but. What do you mean? Here you um, are. I auditioned, I auditioned and I can't, I can't say anything of what happened, but. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me ask you, so as you were telling your, you, as you were just talking and telling me the story, I mm-hmm. wonder if it was the fact that you don't think that your story is that important. I wonder how much that plays a part in how much they feel your story is important. So for example, if I tell you that, you know, I was, I was a fat kid, but it was a no big deal. And I got made fun of no big deal. Um, and, and then I lost weight and then I went into seventh grade and blah, blah, blah. Or if I said to you, you know, when I was in sixth grade, I was at a pool party and I went up on the diving board and I jumped up and down and there was three girls at the end of the pool and they, after I dove in and got out, they asked me to do it again and they were laughing. And so I jumped down and I thought they thought I was cute, but they didn't. They wanted to see my tits bounce up and down and my stomach because I was fat. And from that point on, after I realized that I was so devastated and embarrassed that I completely went on a diet and started exercising and lost the weight. It's two different, two different ways to look at that story. It's the same fucking story. Right. Same story, but it's the details and it's how you portray how it made you feel at eight years old when your mom had to tell you, or when you had to go see your mom cuss out the neighbor because of what she had done, he or she, whichever it was. And that had an impact on you. Mm as it would any kid. And so I don't, you know, I, I think that you have an awesome story. I just don't know if you believe you have an awesome story. And I say that in like, seriously, with all my heart trying to help because you do have a really cool ass story. I mean, you've seen things that I'll never get to see. I mean, I have no idea what it's like to play on a stage. I can tell you as a, as, as a child, I would have killed to do what you're doing. And I think most people would probably love to perform on a stage in front of people and get paid for it. Like, that's pretty cool. Or now, let's just take, for example, you've also been, uh, uh, you've gone on several auditions for television shows. Like, what the fuck is that? Like, that's I mean that's not normal. <laughs> that's pretty fucking cool. So you know, I mean that's I mean maybe to you it's like no big deal, but really that's that's pretty impressive. So you got to give yourself some more credit because you busted your fucking ass to get where you are. You know, mm-hmm. and so I just I would. Maybe the next time you tell your story, just be a little bit more enthusiastic, not enthusiastic, a little bit more um, kind of a punch in the face when you tell the story. You see how I told my story one way, and then I told you the gruesome details about the story, and it made it way worse. Right. 
So, yeah. yeah. You know. With the honesty and the connection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because you know I, how to I, tell a story. I know that. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I think it's really cool that you can come here to talk about things and then you can also learn always. I'm I'm open book to learning. That means a lot to me what you just said. It really, truly does. And my year of 30 has truly changed my my understanding of my life and truly looking at myself. It has been honestly pretty awful, but at the same time, pretty amazing. And to what you're saying, uh, most people don't experience some of the things that I've experienced. You're absolutely, you know, that's true and valid. And I think soaking that all in in this last year has been something like, so when I'm saying that those moments when I connected with that one person and also connecting with you, and to be quite honest with you, when Autumn came up to me at the show, I hadn't tied you to her yet. My mind knew you and I knew her. But then when I tied the two, I was like, oh my gosh, like, oh my God, like I'm sitting here watching her stories. I'm sitting here like, you won't believe. And I'm showing my partner, I'm like, you won't believe what he's talking about. And I'm just like, wow, this is a crazy, you know, the degree of separation that was there was was like inches away and I told my partner today I said you have no idea how excited I am to be doing this like someone asked to speak to me about me and not just about like, oh you sound really nice it was it, it was different and I, I told her I was like she was very nervous I was like you know what I don't want to be nervous I just want to be myself because if I forget about that then maybe then the nervous will come in and I'll lose parts of myself and the nervous so sure. what you just said really means a lot well it's well, it's interesting because when she told me that you knew me out, not through her, it was yeah. the same feeling. I was like, "That gosh, really?" I was like, "That I don't. I didn't even know how to take it because I, I don't know if anybody's ever said that before. I, you know, it was just an odd, like you said, it was just a surreal feeling, and mm -hmm. and and so." I don't know where I was going with that, but the, the, the feelings are mutual. The exact, I felt the exact same kind of like, wow, like she knows who I am outside of you, which is our mutual mm -hmm. connection anyway. So what is it like performing in front okay. of people, like in front of people that like the television people, like that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I would imagine just to even be able to get to do that. Um, the, to be honest with you, it is almost kind of like um, applying for a job. You're nervous and you're in, you're in great hopes that something positive comes from it. And so when you go to do that, you're turning in a resume of maybe not the marks of what you've done through schooling, but um, the experiences that you can, like you said, encompass and whatever story you can get to be the most effective story to reach them that they think will be worth pursuing so if your story is worth it then your sound will be worth it after that and so the steps it takes to getting there is a lot more than what people see and I, I don't ever want to ruin it for anyone but it, it is a it's a very stressful process my mom has even stopped going with me to auditions because she gets so overwhelmed knowing that she's like you're putting yourself out there for everything and you do it every time as if it's just like okay let's just do this whereas when she says when she goes with me, she feels that I, maybe I'll pick up some of her nervous energy or maybe I'll pick up some of how she feels and take it in. 
Um, but truly when my parent comes with me and my family comes with me, I feel more weight than I do um, stress. I, it's more of a, I don't want to let them down because we're all going in this together. And I think that's been the hardest. That's probably my hardest um, battle for myself has been saying that, are you doing this for other people? Or are you doing this for you truly? And once I decided that it was for me and my family means so much to me that I want to make it further um, so that we can have time. Uh, but the audition process is stressful, but also it's a, under pressure, I perform really well. Um, so like maybe consider a bartender when a lot of people overwhelm him with drinks and you know they pile up, they pile up, you can either stumble and drop or you can take it in, process it and deliver your best. And after all these years of auditioning, I would say now 10, 10 years of auditioning, I've come to go in and saying, I am who I am. This is my story. My talent is here. My last audition, I went in with pneumonia. And I said, all I can offer is what I have. And in that audition, I never thought once that this pneumonia was going to stop me. Did it? Yes. And did one of the judges say, why are you sweating so much? Are you nervous? There's something wrong. I was like, well, I, I, am, I am excited to be here but I have 102 fever and I'm standing here in front of you because I love this shit. And he was like, and I said, I, 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 I want to be here. My story, I've came to realize who I am. And I said, whatever you're reading on that paper, you know, whatever, whatever you take from it, know that I'm going to give it a punch in the face with what I do. And I hope you can gather me in about three minutes. And he looked at me and he said, he said, you didn't have to, I, I did a mashup. And he said, you didn't have to do all that work then. He said, you could have just straight up told me you had pneumonia. I said, to be honest with you, sir, I've never, I've never gone in and just been myself. So for me to say that I have pneumonia is an excuse. And it is, but you still came in here and you gave me the best you could give me. And so every audition process before that was pure tea stress. I, I was absolutely stressed. I, I thought I wasn't good enough because of my story. And I think it, it also took over my talent. So I, I think that you needed the pneumonia in order to maybe have a story that you could believe. Meaning, meaning like, so the fact that you went in and, and you performed with pneumonia, it told the judge is judge judges, whichever it is them that, that, that showed them a, a side of you that they probably don't see with a lot of people because most mm -hmm. people would have laid in bed or mm -hmm. said, I can't come because I have pneumonia. But the fact that you showed up and you didn't announce that you had pneumonia, I think mm -hmm. is going to be a, pivotal point in your career. I think you're going to look back at that day and realize that God, whatever you believe, um, put that in your life at that very moment for a reason. Watch and see. I, I believe that hundred percent. I, I, I walked out still not clear of, know what the hell was going to happen next but it was it has changed 
dramatically what has happened next. Um, but I walked out and I, my partner's in the car and I remember getting in and she didn't ask me a single question. She just looked at me and I was like, and most everyone I take is ready for the answer. They're like, yes, no, yes, no. And it, that is like the most like, Bleh. like, here's the answer, you know, no, but this, this, the answer not being clear and also the answer being absolutely clear for, for being myself and doing exactly what I feel like I was able and, and to be quite honest, like had in me to do I, whatever I had, I, I left it in there. And I sound like a, like you said, like going through puberty voice when I was walking out, but I left it all in there and it felt really good being myself on the paper and as the person and whether I had a fever, it was still all honest. And I think the answer was, was for me. It wasn't actually for the success of that, maybe that relationship with that television show moving forward. It was just, it was for me. And so to say that maybe my story of jumping on the diving board can be expressed in a different way, I absolutely, I agree with that. I have, I have to continually see myself as myself. So the artist that's on stage is still the woman that I am when I step down. So, so you say the answer was unclear. Do you mean they didn't give you an answer? Um, or is that also something you can't say? Yeah, I can't answer that, but the answer that I, yeah, the answer that I was given, um, has pivoted me to, uh, the direction I'm going now in my career, not just in television. What I mean is, um, stepping into that situation has allowed me to say, I'm ready to start speaking my own, uh, words. So I've sang so many covers. I, I can't even tell you how many cover songs I've sang in the last 15 years. And maybe 5% of that has been my own original music. And that is really shitty. Um, and I've came into my own voice and in my own words. So um, coming here in the next few months, I'm going to actually be taking time off from singing um, in bars to pursue a full-time writing experience in Nashville. And I'll be moving there in March. And that is probably the second most fearful thing I'm doing because I'm giving up what I know best and I know how to perform. And what you're saying of taking stage, what is that like? It's, it is gratifying to a degree that you cannot lose yourself up there. Um, you can get lost in, in, the may- in, in the lights. You really can. You can think that this is, as a cover artist, getting lost in that is so easy. You can book tours, God, all over the world singing cover songs and like making people being a uh, human jukebox is what I call myself sometimes I got lost in that for 10 years I think I lost my story in there too and um, I think I'm coming back to it now and taking that time off it will be terrifying but I think it will be the most gratifying my pneumonia story has changed that so when you say you're going to take a, a say it again you're doing a writing what um, I guess somebody would like a sabbatical. I, I am I am removing myself from being a cover artist, uh, meaning I'm no longer going to uh, play in a bar. Okay, and so I you're going to perform your own stuff. Yes, I I'm I'm actually right now building a music content file. So that means uh, every song I can possibly write, I'm doing that and putting it into a file and taking it with me. And we're pitching it to different people, different ideas, different projects. And I'm solely dedicating that time there to going to songwriters rounds, uh, to open mics just for my music, 
even if that means I have no money and it, it, it will mean that. And I, I am going to be producing a video on this. I'm going to be keeping everybody updated through the entire journey because as a female, this is from my own experience. I've watched males all over um, travel by themselves and, and, you know, do their careers in music. And for female, I feel like it's a bit different. Uh, there's a little more fears and a little more dangers that maybe we face. Maybe that's just my assumption, but actually honestly going on the road and saying, I'm going to move somewhere by myself and I'm going to follow my solo career as an artist um, is a bit terrifying, but I feel like if I don't do it now, I'll never commit to doing it. I think that, that, that makes complete sense. And I agree if you, if you feel like that's the right thing to do uh, in March or, or right now that you're in preparation of getting ready for March, then that is what you mm-hmm. should do. And if it, mm-hmm. and if it, and there may be some tough times, but I want to circle back around yeah. to you saying about the women. So I can't mm-hmm. remember what the percentage is, but I think it's 6% of mm-hmm. speakers like, you know, speakers that we would go in by let's what, whoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 6% are women. Six. Mm-hmm. That is a unbelievably low number. Yes. So it, it probably is more challenging for you as a woman, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I mean, based on just that statistic alone, yeah, that was mind blowing to me. So I, I didn't even know that, but I, I believe that. Uh, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't think it's so much of my own fear. I think it's because of the unknown fears that maybe we have or that we present ourselves with. But I, I can't live with that anymore. I, I can't let that be my, like, be all end all. Like, that just, it drives me mentally crazy. And I think that may even have something to tie into maybe me as a woman being gay to be honest with you, um, being able to protect myself in a shell that maybe feels more masculine to be the exterior taken seriously and to be even, um, to be looked at with maybe more respect. I think that has been a part of my molding and growth of who I am and then finding a comfortable state of the woman I am now. Um, I think it's taken all those years of that understanding, but I think that 6% it sucks to hear that on that side too, but I know that it can change. And I know that I will definitely be adding to the percentage of women going on tour. So that was exactly why I told you to see if I could get that response. Because I think if I would have asked, if I would have told you that at the beginning of our conversation, before we unraveled, you know, the pneumonia story or the fact that you told the different stories to try to impress the people on that you were trying to get a gig with or be on television with, mm. you know, it just wasn't your time yet. And, yeah, and, yeah. and now, now that you, that day with pneumonia, and I don't even know if you're talking about the same thing that you're talking about that you can't talk about. I don't know if that's even, mm. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not, but whatever that, whatever happened that day, it is going to be a defining moment in your life. I promise you, I can feel it in my bones that that is because from now on, you can say I stood in front of whoever the fuck and I, I sang my ass off. And the story was, is guess what? I'm fucking here. I'm sick as shit, but I'm here. That's all. That's all I'm going to give you. And then yourself. 
And that, that in itself is such a big deal. Like I'm telling you, it doesn't seem like a big deal to you because you did it because that's just what the fuck you do. And a lot of people don't look at things like that as anything impressive because if it's you and that's just what you do, then it's not, doesn't sound so impressive, but look at the world around us. People are lazy. People don't give a shit. They, they, you know, they just, people want a handout and you went out and did something that most folks wouldn't do because you want it that bad. And that's why the judge had that uh, response to you when you told them that you were up there with 102 fever. I, I'm so excited to see what's coming for you. And, you know, it, it, it may be rough. It may be rough for a little bit longer, but it may not. You know, it may not. You may get to Nashville and completely run just to the right person. Just keep your eyes open for that right person because you never know who that person might be. Um, you know, dude, we all have self-doubt. Every human being walking on this earth, I don't give a shit who you are. And we mm-hmm. all think that at some point in our year, we have doubts about money or about relationships or about uh, if we're doing the right thing or if we did the right thing or could we do be doing stuff better. And, and it's interesting to me when I see people on Instagram, they're always talking about, and look, I'm very guilty for not displaying when there's shit in my life. I am horrible about it. I, I, and I, I'm being totally honest. I don't, if I'm feeling down or if I'm feeling depressed or if I'm feeling like shit's just not moving fast enough, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to get better about talking about it, but I Mm -hmm. feel like I have, like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, let that stuff out because then it dampers my personality, but my thinking is broken. If I, if that's how I'm thinking, my thinking's fucking wrong because right. you know, excuse me, my nose keeps running. Um, okay. So people want to know about the struggle mm-hmm. with the shit. the shit. People want to know about mm-hmm. the shit. They really do. They're more interested it, in the shit than they mm-hmm. are the good stuff. But it, it's so true because if we tie that to how the world has grown, shit creates new life. It's compost and literal shit grows beauty and grows nutrition. Then why can't we wire the brain to say that mm. crying and crying and complaining don't have to be hand in hand. Just because we're crying doesn't mean we're complaining. Just because we're verbalizing something, it leads us to making connection. That girl who spoke to me in the bar, she said, I didn't know that you felt lonely because we see you in the lights. And I'm like, holy shit, we're making a connection. This is happening. And then that inspired me to, to want to speak more when I didn't want to speak. It's when you don't want to talk that you should probably be talking. And, and today my partner goes to work. She gets in the car and she opens the window and she goes, I am so proud that you're going to sit and talk about yourself. Because I think the rest of the world 
is ready to listen. And I think you are ready to share it. She goes, I've always been proud of it. And I'm like, I didn't understand that. I'm sitting there like, what, what the hell does that mean? Like, what do you, I know you're proud of me, but sitting here with you, I can feel now what she meant. Yeah. It's uh, sometimes it's really, really hard to talk about ourselves because we feel like it's selfish or, yeah. or that people don't care enough for us to talk about, you know, for you, I'm guessing that you think people would rather hear your music than hear you just talk about whatever. Yes. And maybe it's the opposite. Maybe your whole goal, maybe your whole thing in life is not even to sing. Maybe it's to speak on stage and share, yeah. you know? That's, yeah. Yeah, I um, I I sat down here and I I thought to myself, maybe I should get a book out. Maybe I should write things down. Maybe you should just be yourself. And the first line says, "More love for others who maybe don't feel love. Just open your mouth about it." And that makes no sense in like sentence form, but it made sense to me of what I needed to just be myself. More love grows more love. More connection grows more connection, and more honesty again, creates more honesty, and that's what I'm about, and maybe, like you said, maybe music isn't all, um, maybe the way I'm viewing the lights are just different shades, and maybe I can do both, I just, I don't think I ever believed in myself enough to think I was able. Yeah, well, welcome to you and the rest of the world. Because, you know, it may seem like people are so, they, they're so different, but the reality is, is that we're all very similar when it comes to that. And some of us exude more confidence than others, but it's just practice, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, and people definitely want to hear who you are and what you're doing and they want to know who you are personally, especially you being on a stage. They definitely want to know who you are because they only know the stage. Right. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but, you know, I challenge you to, you know, maybe share something about yourself on social once a week. It doesn't have to be deep, dark, intimate shit. It doesn't have to be that, hey, um, you know, I, whatever the fuck. I can't think. Um, I had my period and it was all over my pants. Today. It doesn't have to be that, you know, but it can be yeah. something as simple as, you know, what, I don't know, whatever. Relatable. Yeah. And, and just, just you honest. Yeah. yeah. I agree. And, and, and the very first thing I ever, I ever posted that was personal was about feeling lonely and about this career being more lonely than what people recognize. And then the responses that came from that was just like holy shit hi and I, I kept telling people don't be afraid to say hello to me just because you think we're different and I think people put me in a light and when they put me there they forget that I'm a human and then the people who are are too afraid to say hello I'm like no like that please always say hi please please come in and hug me and, and let me connect with you then be more relatable on it yeah. Um, well, I'm super excited to hear about what you have coming up. I'm super excited to hear about how Nashville goes. Nashville is, oh, yeah. God, the number one place I think that you could mm -hmm. possibly go to mm -hmm. 
be discovered or whatever it is you're going out there for, um, you know, everything is, if you're supposed to be in Nashville in March, you'll show up in Nashville. If you're not supposed to be Mm -hmm. there, then God will put you in the direction he wants you to be in. But my guess is after as long as you've been doing this, that you have lined up whatever you've lined up and Nashville's where you're supposed to be. So there's a reason behind that. And it may not show itself for six months after you get there, or it may be six Mm -hmm. days. You never know. Right. Mm -hmm. I I have this, it's in me. Something's telling me to move, not move maybe like physically, like in permanent, but my body is, is ready to stand and start walking towards, towards this direction. And I'm going to have to take like I said, exhaust every option until we find out what direction that is. Perfect. Well, where um, where can people find you on social? Uh, it's really simple. Uh, you can go to autumnicholas.com, um, autumnicholas's Instagram, autumnicholas Facebook. Everything is my name to the T. Uh, again, autumn like autumn like the season. Nicholas like Santa Claus in spelling. And uh, the story's gonna get interesting soon. So. Oh, it's all your story's already good, but it's just gonna get better. So. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, I look forward to circling back around with you um, in the next three or four months to see where you are in your journey. I mean, I'm being like to have you back on. Oh, sure. I would love to. I would love love for you to. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. And you have a wonderful night. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye bye. I want to thank you again for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. If you have not already subscribed, please do. And look, if you really enjoyed today's episode, email me at SuccessfulLifePodcast at gmail.com and tell me what it was you enjoyed. And if there's somebody that you want me to bring on, then email me about that and tell me who it is. And... I'll make sure it happens. So, you know, leave us a review, tell a friend, and until next time, folks, have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.